Good evening again. Um, if you can keep that uh, little booklet open, we're going to be looking at the passage that Anouk just read to us. But before we do that, uh, uh, let me ask you, um, who, had, who, th- who here thinks they had the worst Christmas gift given to them this Christmas? Anyone? Anyone get a bad one? I once got given... Ah, Tim, what did you get? Um, calendar with birds on it. I've got something that will outdo that. Um, <laughs> I was once given a guidebook to Prague as a Christmas gift. No, no flight tickets or anything, just a guidebook to Prague. <laughs> Thanks very much. Anyone else? Anyone can better than, do better than that? Stephen Garner. Genius, genius, genius. It was on markdown. How about this? Here's the, uh, here's the, the top uh, worst Christmas gifts uh, from the internet. Here's, here's uh, number five, uh, a trout tie. How about one of those, eh? A trout tie. Or what about these uh, uh, metal detecting thongs? You can w- walk down Bondi Beach and dig up treasure. They're pretty good. Um, this one, I don't know why it made the list, because I can see Dan Optive salivating as I bring it up. This is a bacon wallet. <laughs> a bacon wallet, number three. Number two is uh, the back shaver and vacuum. <laughs> I didn't get one of these. I think I might need one, but I didn't get one of those. I did, however, get one of these, uh, which is the Calendario Romano, which is... A calendar of Rome, uh, priests in Rome. Brilliant. So you've got all of these uh, chaps. Here's uh, February. You wouldn't want to cross him in a dark alley. Here's uh, March, April. You can have a look at it afterwards. I got it in the Staff Secret Santa, right? And the Staff Secret Santa is, is meant to be secret. And I can't think of who went on a big holiday to Rome this year. Can you? Cool down. The worst Christmas presents. That's a bit of fun, isn't it? Um, I wanted to start there because the Bible says that Jesus is God's gift to every single one of us. He is God's gift to every single one of us. We heard that two weeks ago as Dan preached to us in chapter 1. He is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is called Emmanuel because he is God with us. God given to us to save us from our sins. And when it comes to Jesus, he is a gift that you either love or you hate. I know you've got that pile, the gifts that you love and and the gifts you hate. And Jesus is just like that. He is a gift that you either love and cherish or hate and reject. I want to ask you tonight, which pile would you put Jesus on? Would you stick him in the pile with all those dodgy fashion gifts that you got, like the trout tie? Because that's what religion is, isn't it? Weird fashion items, deeds and acts to make you look prim and proper, to make you look proper and moral. Perhaps you uh, would put Jesus in the random gadgets pile uh, along with the back shaver. Something that you'll never possibly need. Why would you need Jesus? I know many of us here, uh, our Christians have been following Jesus all our lives. And the temptation for us is that we will put Jesus in the broken gifts pile. 
my boy's got a, given a broken gift and it has gone straight out for council collection. You received him gladly. You followed him for years. You were enthusiastic about Jesus in your youth, perhaps through uni, for the first 5, 10, 15 years. But now it feels like Jesus doesn't work. That he's somehow broken and he hasn't given the life that you thought he would give. It's hard work following Jesus. It's tough following Jesus. I wonder whether that's you this evening. I know that that's been me many times. Today, as we look at Matthew 2, I want us to be reminded of the Jesus of the Bible. Not the fairy tale Jesus, not the, 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 the Jesus in the 90, the Jesus of the Bible. And I want us to see that Jesus is the king that we desperately all need, and that he is the gift who deserves our worship and our dedication, and our loyalty. I'm going to pray that that happens. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord God, all wisdom and power belong to you. Please, we pray in your sovereignty and mercy, show us Jesus this evening. Help us to see him more clearly. Help us to love him more dearly and follow him more nearly. For our good and your glory. Amen. Well, Matthew's uh, chapter 2, it's a brilliant chapter. I've really enjoyed preparing it. And and Matthew's agenda is to get us to meet that Jesus, to get us to meet and to follow Jesus. And he employs in chapter 2 what I've called the Noah's Ark strategy. He takes us through two by twos. Uh, He presents us with two kings, two worlds, and two choices. Two kings, two worlds, and two choices. And those are going to be the points, uh, our points for this evening. But before we get there, I need to bust some Christmas myths. Uh, I wonder if you noticed them as the passage was read out. Um, the action didn't happen on Christmas Day. Jesus was a toddler, uh, not a baby, about the same age as my son, Arthur, two years old. Uh, unlike my... Uh, uh, unlike uh, um, Jesus is unlike my son Arthur, who gets into all the cupboards and has tantrums and is really naughty. Jesus is perfect and holy. Um, there's no stable in this passage. Did you see? There's a house in verse 11, and there's uh, there's no mention of three kings from the Orient. We, read it, we sang that carol this morning at the 8 a.m. It was brilliant because I could say, "Smash it! Let's rewrite it." Um, there's no camels either. Did you see there's no camels? These guys, verse 1, are magi, astronomers, and they're probably from Babylon. We hear that they're from the east, but the way Matthew sets up his story uh, is most likely they are from Babylon. And they probably would have had a Beyonce-style entourage, loads of them following them around. And most notably, they were pretty bad at buying gifts for kids. Did you notice that? I'd love gold for Christmas. I'd love gold. But I wouldn't give it to my two-year-old. In coin form, it's a choking hazard. And in a bar, it makes a brilliant weapon for battering your brothers with. Uh, Frankincense, that's incense or joysticks, the stuff they burn in in Thai restaurants. What's a kid going to do with that? Eat it? And myrrh? What's that used for? Embalming corpses. 
<laughs> don't see too much of that in Toys R Us, do you? <laughs> terrible gifts. Terrible gifts for kids. Of course, they're not buying for a kid, are they? They're buying for a king. These gifts are expensive. They are rare and they are precious. And they are perfect for a king. Uh, that's the first, of our Matthew, uh, the first of our twos in Matthew chapter 2. Two kings. Did you spot the two kings as we read the passage out? Herod and Jesus. There are two kings. Look down with me at Matthew 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Do you see the two kings? Now this whole star thing as well, it's been baffling me. It's a prophecy that comes from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers and it is a prophecy that promises the perfect king for the whole world who would come from the Jews. He is described as a star. We get the king thing again in verse 4. Herod asks where the Messiah was to be born. Uh, That's the technical name for God's promised king, promised in the Old Testament. And in verse 6 from uh, our Micah reading, we, we read that God promises a ruler from Bethlehem. You see the king thing? Now it's quite a brave thing, isn't it, for the Magi to come up to Herod's to swan up to him, this paranoid, bloodthirsty, uh, tyrannical King Herod, and say, we've come to worship your successor. Pretty brave, isn't it? It's also God's brilliance that he should use the Magi to announce the king. See, to the the Jews, uh, the Magi, they weren't wise men, Uh, They weren't kings. They had no reputation for being wise. Uh, They studied the stars to advise foreign kings on how to keep their power and to fend off any opposition. And Matthew uh, um, Matthew uses the Magi because the Jews thought that they were peddlers of false pagan wisdom. They're not wise men. They're not kings. And so Matthew uses them and says to God's people, if these foreign fools can understand who Jesus is, then why can't you? You've had him promised in all of your Old Testament. And yet these foreign fools who advise foreign kings with their fake wisdom and looking at the stars, they can get it. Then why can't you? It's a bit like using an Englishman to show an Australian how to bake a pavlova. God, um, Matthew uses the Magi to show the Jews who Jesus is. And God uses the Magi to show us who Jesus is. To show us that he is the king of everyone. Not just the king of the Jews. Not just the king of Babylonian astronomers. But the king of you and me. He is God's promised perfect king with universal reign. I wonder whether you knew that before. Now the problem with all this talk of king is that we don't really get 
the concept of a king. We don't have many kings going around. I once was at a party, sat next to Don King, a bloke dressed as Don King. I think that was the closest I ever got to a, a, a king. See, I mentioned the word king to you, and you think of an old woman in a castle who likes corgis, or you think of Prince Charles, or you think of that little bloke in Shrek. What's he called? Lord Farquhar, isn't it? You see, we don't get the concept of a king. But we do understand the concept of a tyrannical ruler. Someone who rules with the sword. We've just got to flick on the news to see that. Herod is that tyrannical ruler. As he hears about Jesus, he is threatened. And he gets the sword out and he goes to kill Jesus. And he ends up slaughtering a town in its regions, toddlers. And Matthew puts two kings in front of us and says, which king do you want? Will you have the madman or will you have the Messiah? Will you have the king who massacres Bethlehem's children to protect his throne? Or will you take the king who will go to the cross and will die for you to save you from death and the brokenness of this world? Will you take the king who rules by the sword? Or will you take the king who reigns as the lamb, given for you, slain for you, to rescue you from the brokenness of this world and God's judgment? Which king, friends, will you put on the hate pile this Christmas? The king who reigns with the sword? Or the king who reigns as the lamb? Two kings. The second two we've got tonight in Matthew 2 is two worlds. A world of tears and a world of rescue. Uh, Really, a world of exile and a world of rescue. Have a look with me at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. See, the world that Herod rules is a world marked out by verse 18. Weeping and great mourning. It's a horrible picture, isn't it? It's a horrible, horrible picture. Apparently, it was just a drop in the ocean in the evil that, or the, all the evil that Herod perpetrated. He famously killed his wife, he killed his three sons and his mother-in-law. And when Herod lay on his own deathbed, uh, he gathered up all the finest men in Jerusalem into the Hippodrome and had them slaughtered so that that he would die to the sound of tears rather than the sound of laughter. Evil, evil stuff. Again, Matthew contrasts Herod's world of tears with Jesus' world of rescue. I love how when Herod gets mad, uh, um, uh, Jesus, the Magi, Mary and Joseph, they all just get rescued by the angel of the Lord, just appearing in dreams, by God appearing in dreams, just being rescued by God's hand. Verse 12, God warns the Magi in a dream of Herod. Verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. It's a brilliant story. Imagine if you could have that kind of guidance uh, to avoid all those work disasters. 
It would be brilliant. And it's brilliant here just how God orchestrates events to keep his king alive. Of course, that will be the whole story throughout Jesus' life. Will he get killed today? Is it, are they going to get him? It's a brilliant story. It's a brilliant story, but it is not a, a patch on the rescue that arrives with the birth of Jesus. That's what's promised. With the promise of the Messiah came a promise of rescue uh, for Israel. I wonder whether you noticed, you probably didn't, the, the Bible geeks may have, I wondered whether you noticed the big deal that Matthew makes of Old Testament quotes. Dan Webster pointed this out to me. Verse 5, he says, This is what the prophet has written. Verse 14, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. We get it again in verse 17 and verse 23. We get these uh, long-winded declarations of Old Testament quotes. In the other Gospels, they're just slotted in. Often they're not mentioned that they're Old Testament quotes. But here, Matthew makes a big deal and says... This is the section of the Old Testament that I'm quoting now to explain events. And what Matthew is doing is he's saying that with the birth of this baby, a rescue has come. A rescue promised to God's people. It was promised to them when they were captive, first in Assyria, then in Babylon. And the prophets that we have mentioned in this text. In this passage, the prophets Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they, they all feature here and they all mention and speak of the, a promised rescue. Now, if you didn't get that, we also get, Matthew's cleverly done this, we also get reenactments of the book of Daniel. It's a, almost a mirror of Daniel chapter 2. And we get uh, snippets of the Exodus in this chapter. Uh, what Matthew's doing is he's, what, he's doing what the Hollywood movie producers do when they want to make a rescue film, the greatest rescue film ever made. They kind of get all the bits and all the cast and all the plots from the greatest films that have ever been made, and they stick them all into one, and they say, now we're going to have the greatest rescue film ever made. Matthew's doing that here. He's taking all the promises, all the great promises of the great rescue from the Old Testament... And he's stuffing him into this chapter and saying that great rescue is here. The greatest rescue in the Bible. The greatest rescue in the world. You see, all of this points us to the greatest rescue the world has ever seen. The rescue of the cross. I wonder whether you realise that's what happened on the cross. A rescue has taken place. Offered to all mankind. See, uh, like God's people here, we live in a broken, evil world. Don't need to look too far to realise that. We know pain and evil all too well. 132 kids massacred in Pakistan. Eight children murdered by their mother and auntie in Cairns. The mother of three and a cherished son killed in Martin Place just before Christmas. You will have experienced your own pain, your own suffering. Perhaps that's more real than ever this Christmas. Perhaps that's why you've put Jesus on the unwanted gift pile. Because of all the pain you feel. Rest assured, friends. Jesus' rescue deals with that. 
His rescue takes care of that. Just look at verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is a quote from Jeremiah the prophet. And he is uh, speaking, using the tears of Rachel to describe the pain of the mourning mothers of Bethlehem, the mothers of the kids who were massacred. Rachel is known as the most sorrowful woman in the Old Testament. She died giving birth to Benjamin, her son. And Jeremiah says, the reason why Matthew's put Jeremiah here is he is saying that even the tears of mourning mothers will be quenched by the rescue of this King Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? So that's why Jesus came. He came to rescue He came to rescue us from a broken world. He came to rescue us from the rule of evil. He came to rescue us from being exiled from God. See, all the pain and the hurt that we feel and see are symptoms because we are are estranged from God, exiles from God. And Matthew puts a, a choice before us again and says, what world would you prefer to live in? A world of tears or a world of rescue? That's the choice this morning, this, this evening. Our final point, Matthew puts before us uh, two choices. Two choices. We are faced between a choice uh, of King Herod and King Jesus. We're faced uh, with a choice between King Herod and King Jesus. When you are faced Uh, with a choice like that. The choice is pretty obvious, isn't it? You'll take Jesus every time. Surely you would take Jesus every time. But look at verse 4 and see if you see the shock. Verse 4. When King Herod heard this, he he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the the, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. Did you spot the shock? It's not that obvious. But the shock is that they don't go to Bethlehem. Uh, the Magi's star is the perfect GPS for the timing of the birth uh, of this child. And the Old Testament scriptures are the perfect description of the location of the birth of the child. They have all the data there, the chief priests. And the teachers of the law, the Bible geeks, the religious people, the moral people, they have all the information there to find this king that would bring this long-awaited rescue. And yet they choose to stay at Herod's palace, probably eating chips and watching a big plasma screen TV. They have all the information they need. And yet they choose to stay under the rule of King Herod. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's a theme that the Bible, that the Gospels take on as Jesus grows up, that these religious leaders constantly reject Jesus. It's not that they don't know who he is. They know who he is. But they're out, they they, they reject him and they plot to kill him. See, we learn that they reject him because they prefer the comfort of what they know rather than the rule and rescue of Jesus. See, with... um, 
King Herod's rule and the, the Romans' rule uh, came at quite a bit of power for them. They enjoyed kind of religious superiority. They enjoyed acceptance and being held up on a pedestal by the people because they were the nice, moral, religious people. And they realize here that with Jesus on the scene, that is the end of all of that. They prefer their comfort rather than the reign and rescue of Jesus. Jesus comes and, and, and threatened threaten Herod's rule. Uh, Jesus comes and he threatens the chief priest's livelihood. They're the people who we would expect to be at the front of the queue for heaven. They are the nice, moral, religious people. But yet they choose to stay in the court of the evil Herod. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. They preferred their comfort over the rule and rescue of Jesus. It's like staying on the Titanic just because you like the taste of the tea and biscuits. It's just ridiculous. And Matthew wants us to feel how ridiculous it is. Uh, how ridiculous it is. You kind of read it and you feel like shaking your Matthew's gospel and saying, what are you doing? Go to Bethlehem. But then you realize you're shaking yourself. Because we're just like the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Because we love our comfort over the rule and the rescue of Jesus. Yes, this uh, amazing rescue will come. But his rule starts now. And he calls us to make him number one in our lives. And there is a cost to that. Friends, the great news is, is that Jesus' rescue even deals with all those bad choices we've ever made. The times where we've chosen our comfort over the rule and rescue of Jesus. It's amazing news. We're not meant to stay in the reign of this world. God wants us to come under the rule of King Jesus. We're not meant to be like the chief priests and the teachers of the law. We're meant to be like the Magi. Uh, Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The choice we're given tonight is, uh, will you be like the Magi? Will you worship God's King? Will you follow him as number one in your life? If he has been relegated further down the list, will you put him back at top of the list? Will you allow him to reign over your life? Will you follow him to the rescue that he promises? When he came, uh, Jesus was declared the Prince of Peace. He rules over a kingdom where there is no crying, there is no pain, there is no mourning. He creates a kingdom where there is no hurt. And he calls us to follow him to that perfect world. He is the greatest gift ever given to the world. And the choice we are given tonight is will you take it? Let's pray. Our Father, we do praise you for the gift of the Lord Jesus. Father, we praise you that you have delivered the promised rescue 
and we praise you that Jesus reigns so that we might have the offer of rescue. Father, help us to see him for who he is. Help us to be compelled by him and help us, Lord, we pray, to come under his rule and benefit from his rescue. In Jesus' name, amen.